Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Paul Mumo. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. And uh, I want to start off by, today by asking, um, what, what, what's the secret to writing something like this? Uh, how, how many of you have ever seen the ripstick before or have one of these in your home? Uh, plenty of hands that are going up. Um, how, how many of you know how to ride one of these? Anybody here know, know one knows how to ride one of these? We've got a hand in the back, a couple hands around the room. I want to know what the secret is to riding this thing, all right? And I don't know what the skateboard people were thinking uh, when they got together in that board meeting and decided, you know what, four wheels isn't going to be enough anymore. That, well, well, we knew, I, you know, I can see the guy there who's like, I, I got an idea. Let's just put two of them on there. And, and sure enough, if you examine the ripstick, you'll find that it's got two not only wheels, but swiveling wheels, all right? You know, they don't, they don't stay still. And if that wasn't enough, they, they put something, some sort of mechanism in the middle to where you, you can twist on it, like that's supposedly how it works. And, well, it comes with instructions, but they're not good. They don't work. Uh, in fact, you can go online. I was online this morning, and you can watch a tutorial on how to ride this thing. But it doesn't work either, and uh, I, I've tried it, trust me. I, in fact, you know, step number one in the tutorial says to get familiar with the ripstick. What in the world are they talking about? Like, yes, I can tell it only has two wheels, and 37-year-old men should not get on it and, and try. And, and it just says twist and go. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, they make it sound so easy that you can set this thing on the ground, and I decided... I don't know how much disability insurance I have, so I'm not going to try it uh, from stage today, but that you just twist and, and, and go, and well, then it, it suggests that find someone and hold on to them for security. Well, you know, they, they, you get a partner and that they help you in, in trying to figure out the ripstick. I don't know what the secret is. I don't get it, but I see 10-year-olds riding them all over town, and it just, it kind of makes me believe that there's something defective with mine. I, you know, there, it, it doesn't work. There's something wrong with this because I, I, I can't figure this out. But um, let, me, let me ask you this. What's the secret to prayer? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what makes prayer work? Is, is there a secret to prayer that that, that, that gives you the confidence to keep going back to it? Uh, is there a secret to prayer that says, you know what, if I do this or if I do that, then maybe God will answer my prayers? I mean, do you ever wonder about the secret to prayer? I mean, because we all know what the Bible has to say. You know, I mean, the Bible says that as Christians, you should pray. I mean, we know we're supposed to pray. And, and, and even if you don't pray and you don't pray regularly, you probably know that you should. And even if you don't pray or have any interest in prayer, I, I think we'd all agree, you'd all say that you know you can go there if needed. I mean, if you reach this point of crisis, at least we know as a plan B, as a final resort, I can go to God and I can pray. I mean, maybe you look at people around you, uh, people here at Genesis or friends that you know, and, and people that pray a lot and well, if you're really honest with yourself, you'd say, you know what, they're kind of weird. You know, I mean, they're just, they're always talking about prayer. And what are they doing with all that time? And how do they get anything done if they're, they're praying all the time? But you also probably know some people, and they're people that pray a lot. And so you think to yourself, you know what, I want that man praying for me. I want that woman praying for me because, well, they pray and stuff happens and God answers their prayer. I mean, they've got something figured out. I mean, maybe you know people in your life, maybe you know people in your connection group that pray and pray faithfully, and sometimes you think, you know what, I want that. Like, I want to be able to pray like that. I want to have that kind of uh, faith and that kind of confidence when I pray. But what's the secret? Like, how do you pray and stick with it and gain from it and turn to it 
I mean, do you ever wonder about the secret to prayer? I mean, how do you make prayer work for you? Does it involve certain words? Is there a, a, a prescribed posture? I mean, is it about keeping your eyes closed or can you have your eyes open? Is there something that I need to do in order to get prayer to work for me so that I can get the results that I'm looking for? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. Here's what David said about prayer in Psalm 145, 18. He said, hey, we can have this confidence that the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in, in truth. And, and that just reminds us that he's not some unapproachable God living in a far off place, but he is everywhere and near all at the same times. And, and that word near, that there's a closeness that comes with it. There's an intimacy that's wrapped up into it, which reminds us that he is especially close to his children, that you and I, that you can go to God in prayer. I mean, it's one of the benefits of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul wrote it like this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says, in every situation, by prayer, present your request to God, that you can go to God with anything. Uh, nothing is too difficult. Nothing is too great for him, but also nothing's too simple either. And so you're not going to surprise him with your fears or your simple requests, your questions, or your greatest concerns. You can go to God. I can go to God with my greatest needs. Uh, Paul was writing to new Christians, all right, maybe like some of you here today in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, or even starting in 16 when he says, rejoice always and then pray continually. Now, in some translations, it's pray without ceasing. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, but to pray continually. This is God's will for us. He wants us to be people who pray he wants to spend time with you and me as we pray. He wants us to have this attitude and this habit in our lives where we are always turning to Him in prayer. We are turning to say thanks. We are going to Him with our greatest concerns. It just becomes a way of living for us. It's, it's a habit. It's thinking and remembering and asking on every occasion. And then John, the son of Zebedee, writing to all believers in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, says this is the confidence we can have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. And so we can have this confidence that when we pray, God is there and he is near and he hears us. He hears all of our requests. We're encouraged to pray continually to make this a part of our lifestyle, if you would, to make it a discipline in our life, to have this habit of prayer, but I know what you're thinking. Well, what if I feel like prayer is boring? Or what if you're like me sometimes and you fall asleep as you're praying? Or uh, you just seem to pray over and over again with no results, no return. It's like no one's listening. I mean, when I pray, I mean, if you were really honest, that you might say, when I pray, I feel nothing. Or what about this? I mean, what about, what about when you pray and you get nothing in return? Or what about when he doesn't answer? Or maybe for some of you, you would say, you know what, I'm still asking and I haven't seen anything. Or now that I think of it, I've been asking and I've been praying for things forever and it seems like I get nowhere, but I know people who pray and pray and they seem to get everything that they ask for. What's the secret to prayer? Well, today as we look at the life of King Hezekiah, I want you to see something in him that I think has everything to do with the secret to prayer. And at the same time, I, I wanna show you some things that I'm learning about prayer, some things that we can see even in Hezekiah's life that I think might be helpful uh, to some of you here today. Um, Hezekiah was a king. 
And he prayed to God, and God answered his prayer, and God blessed Hezekiah. He answered his prayers, and, and I just, I can't help but think that if he can do that for a guy by the name of Hezekiah, I want you to see and believe that if he can do it then, he is more than capable of doing that for you. He is more than capable of answering the prayers and requests that you might offer up to him even here this morning. Um, we've made it to chapter 16 in the story. We're, we're halfway through, and uh, we're going to continue for a few more weeks in this. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and then by mid-September, we're going to launch uh, full force into the New Testament. And, and I hope you've been following along, and, and if you have, and if you've fallen off or whatever, jump back in with us. Uh, you can read uh, through your own copy of the story, or again, we always provide the reading plan every week in the worship program. So just jump in and read chapter 17 for next week. And uh, speaking of next Sunday, I wanted to let you know that Josh Tandy uh, is going to be here, and he's going to be teaching next Sunday, and we're excited about that. Josh is a good guy. Uh, Josh and his wife Heidi served on staff here for a few years, recently moved to Cincinnati, where they're going to be planting a church, and we're partnering with them uh, in that, but he's going to be here next week, so don't miss that. But chapter 16 today, and uh, let's review a little bit of what we've talked about these past couple of weeks, because it's going to make all the sense uh, for where we are today. Uh, Israel, God's chosen nation, the people we've been following for a long time now, is now two nations. All right, they've split, and if you're taking notes, just for the sake of some clarity, uh, the northern kingdom is still called Israel, all right, but there is a southern kingdom too, and that southern kingdom is what we refer to as Judah. And we've been looking at their 208-year uh, history uh, of, of time as a nation, and during this time, uh, there were 38 kings, and the Bible says that for 33 of them, their tombstone reads, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Only five had a heart for God, as scriptures tell us. So this whole king thing isn't going so well for Israel. I mean, this whole leadership thing, and as we saw last week, uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, had been marked by rebellion, idolatry, and pride, and this was true for both the north, but also for the south. And during this time, during this 208-year period, God sent nine prophets, or special messengers, as his divine representatives, and each prophet came into the time, came into the day amongst the people carrying a warning sign, right? A warning sign that basically said, you're going the wrong way, you're not doing things God's way, if you keep it up, destruction and crisis is sure to come. And every time, on every occasion, some may have listened, or maybe they listened for a period of time, but over and over again, the people ignored the prophets and continued doing their own thing. And we read in Second Chronicles uh, 36, 15, uh, just a little note about history. It says, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. And then verse 16 says, but they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. Now, you can't help but look at something like this and just the repeating measures over and over again and just ask, why warn them? Like, why doesn't God just give up? I mean, why bother? Well, don't miss this. He had pity on them. And because he's a God of love, he had compassion on them over and over again, but they just kept ignoring his warnings. And I think it's a great reminder that while he is a God of love, he is a God of justice too. And we forget that at times. I mean, so many of us get this wrong because most of us have two pictures of God. Either we'll say that he's a God um, of 100% justice 
or we'll say, you know, that, that he's something like Judge Judy, you know, ready to squash us, you know, with one big mistake or something like that, or he's 100% love, meaning that, you know, he's willing to overlook or brush aside any of our actions or any of our disobedience. And I mean, even in the church, we get this wrong as we try and balance God's love and his justice at the same time. And we try and make him 50% love, maybe, and 50% justice, or, or we lean one way more than we lean the other. But the Bible, the, the, the picture the Bible paints of God is something that you and I could never be, that God is 100% love and 100% justice all at the same time, fully and completely both. And, and so while he has compassion, he can't let our sin go unnoticed. And, and so we read that the northern kingdom of Israel was eventually destroyed. And the Assyrian army was a growing force in this part of the world at this time in history. Uh, they had an army of 185,000 soldiers. They attacked the northern kingdom. God withdrew his hand of blessing and protection on the people of the north. The Assyrian army overcame the north, including the capital city of Samaria. They were defeated. And as history records, all the people living in the northern kingdom were scattered all throughout the nation of Israel, forced to go and find new homes. Now, meanwhile... The people of the south, Judah, get to watch all of this happen. And so imagine yourself living in the south. I mean, you hear all about this great enemy of Assyria wiping out your neighbors to the north, and suddenly you realize that God might be finished warning you too. I mean, it's kind of like those times as a kid. Like, do you remember as a kid growing up and maybe you're riding in the car with your parents and you kind of had that ability, you kind of had that gift to push your parents towards the edge. And if you were really good, you could maybe like get them almost all the way to the edge, but not take them there. And, and then if you weren't so good at it, or maybe you push things a little too far once in a while, you'd take them all the way up to the edge and you just take them a little bit across that line. I mean, in our car, it meant all of a sudden a hand appearing from the front seat. I mean, anybody like that? Somebody's leg was going to get crushed in the moment. It, it was a reminder that, you know, things need to change. And right now, I mean, that's sort of kind of what's happening in Judah. And, and so what God did is he sent a prophet to Judah, a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah has a whole book uh, in the Old Testament. And Isaiah uses what's already happened in the northern kingdom uh, of Israel to warn the people living in the south, living in Judah. You can read it for yourself over in Isaiah chapter 2, uh, verses 6 through 12, where, where, where he kind of gives this warning. Again, he comes carrying this sign, which says, hey, you know, pay attention to what happened in the north. I mean, these people, this land that was full of all of these practices, he says, of sorcerers and the things that the Philistines do. You know, they made alliances with pagans, and God wiped them out. And now look at your situation. You think you have all of these things and all of these horses and all of these chariots. There will come a day, and you will be humbled, and there will be no place to hide. I mean, he is reminding them that, hey, if you keep up, trouble is coming. Isaiah basically says, God can't keep ignoring your sins. And he's a God of love and justice, which he means he can't pretend like everything's okay when it's not. And so Isaiah, with his warnings over and over again, reminds us that God is a God of justice, but that also he is a God of compassion. And he is waiting and he is patient, and he'll do, and he'll go to great lengths to protect us, to help us get our lives back on course. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the importance of godly wisdom. 
and the benefit that we have as a Christian, that you have as a follower of Jesus, is that you can, you can find confidence in knowing that there is wisdom that comes from God, and if you seek it, you will find it, that the Lord will give us wisdom when we pray for it and when we seek it. For example, I mean, one way God will try and get our attention that he'll extend wisdom to us is that he'll give us something from the Bible at just the right time. Uh, he'll do that. And so, you know, maybe for you, maybe the, one of the ways that this works in your life is that you pick up the Bible, maybe for the first time in a long time, but you turn to something that is perfect for your particular situation. And the Lord, he just, he gives you wisdom. He extends that wisdom uh, to you. Um, for some of you, uh, it might have everything to do with where you are right now. I mean, like here today. I mean, maybe, maybe you hadn't even planned on being here today, but you're, you're here and you aren't sure why. And, and for some of you, the reason why you're here today is because there's this area in your life that God is trying to protect you from. He's trying to keep you from going down this particular road. He's trying to get your attention because if you're honest with yourself, I mean, maybe you would acknowledge that you're not in a good place right now and you're going down this wrong road and it's a path that leads to destruction. But if you act now, and if you'll respond today, God's love and His grace and His warning can spare you a lot of pain and grief. And God will give us wisdom through His Word. But let me tell you another way that God will warn us or He'll extend wisdom to us is that sometimes He'll warn us through the example of others, through the stories of others. He'll warn us as others tell their stories and share their stories of pain and, and consequences, you know, some of the decisions in their lives. And if we pay attention, you know, we'll see their actions and we'll listen and hopefully their story, you know, will prevent us from making some of the same mistakes. Isaiah is using the example of others to guide the people of Judah. I mean, this powerful Assyrian army that devastated the north, the northern kingdom of Israel, is now turning their attention to the south. This is the next enemy, south Judah. And they, again, they've got 185,000 soldiers who are ready to take down the south. And you would think that the same end for Israel would be the same end for Judah too, but this is where the story gets really interesting. And, and where I really believe and what I'm praying for is that we will see the secret to prayer really come into pray, or to play. Um, there's this king, I mentioned him in the beginning, this king in Judah of the southern kingdom right now, a king by the name of Hezekiah. And he's really the first king since David that you could say has a heart for God. Because since he's took, taken power, he, he's been working hard for change in the southern kingdom. Uh, the Bible says that Hezekiah worked uh, diligently to remove all of the idols in the land. Uh, he's following God and he's working hard to do things God's way. And as a result of his leadership and as a result of his commitment to God, you know, God started working in a number of favorable ways again, once again, in Judah. And you, you could say that God's hand of blessing was coming over the people again. But, but, but again... The southern kingdom has a problem. There is this enemy, the Assyrian Empire, that is knocking on their door. And as the Assyrian army advances towards Judah, the people are terrified, and rightly so. It's just like Isaiah pre predicted it. In the middle of the fear and chaos, King Hezekiah speaks out to the people of the southern kingdom. And look what he says, because this is so good. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 7. He says, he proclaims, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. Now notice this phrase right here. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people, it says, 
gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. So Hezekiah comes along as this army, this Assyrian army, stands outside of their doors, and he says, hey, sure, they've got a a giant army, no doubt, but we have our God, and he is greater than any army on this earth. And I just wonder if any of you ever feel like that. If you ever come to that sort of place where you're able to look at the obstacles and the challenges and the crisis in your life and look at them and think, you know what, they may be big, but my God is bigger and greater than all of these. Or do you get so distracted by what's in your way that you forget about the God who is on your side? I mean, as for the Assyrians, they're really hoping to take King Hezekiah and the people peacefully. I mean, they, they don't want to fight unless it's necessary. And so the king of Assyria at the time, King Sennacherib, he's, he's pretty clever, and here's what he does. He sends in a group of people into the southern kingdom, specifically into Jerusalem, and they just come in and start interacting amongst the people, spreading all of these lies. And they start telling stories about how great the people of Assyria are and how ruthless the army is. They're they're creating all of this panic, and they poke fun and, and question, you know, God's ability to protect, you know, the people of the south, saying, you know, what can your God do? I mean, where was this same God for the people of the north? I mean, where, where was he when we, when we showed up? You know, no God has been able to stand up to the powerful Assyrians so far. And I mean, just stop there for a second and think about how relevant that is for life today. Like how relevant that can be for your life and how relevant that is for my life. That, that maybe even tell you that there, there's something right here for each of us right now. I mean, some of you right now, it's like you've got an enemy that's camped right outside of your door. And whatever the situation is, I mean, the odds seem so great. I mean, it all looks impossible to God, at least from your perspective. Because maybe you think it's too messy for him to clean up. That your life is too broken for God to put it back together or your situation is too bad for him to redeem. And while all of this is happening, the enemy is in your ear, and he is saying things like, you know, not even God can fix this one. I mean, God's not going to be able to put this mess back together. And so that's what's happening for Judah. And like the people of Judah, what we do is we get trapped. I mean, we get stuck in our own fears and questions of disbelief. I mean, 185,000 soldiers. I mean, what can you possibly do? What can I do? Well, look at what King Hezekiah does, because what King Hezekiah does, it's what we can do. And look what it says in Second Chronicles 32, verse 20. It says, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. They went to God. I mean, this is a desperate situation. The Assyrian army is the most powerful in the army in the world at the time. They destroyed the north. They've got every means to do the very same thing to the south. And how do Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah respond? They pray. The Bible says they cried out to heaven with prayer about this. And do you know what? What they did and what King Hezekiah did, you and I can do the same thing every day too. Hezekiah prayed. And you and I, we can go to God in prayer. We have this privilege as his children that in any situation, no matter the circumstances, you can cry out to heaven just as Hezekiah did. And so here's what I want to do with uh, just the few minutes that I have here is I want to share with you 
some truths uh, before revealing the secret, but I want to share with you some truths that I've been learning about prayer, some things that I've been thinking about over the course of this past week, um, but some truths that come right out, some of these right out of, of Scripture in this particular narrative where, you know, Hezekiah prayed. 185,000 waited him on the outside, ready to come in, and he prayed. And, and so I'm going to go through these kind of quickly, but if you're taking notes and you want to follow along, here's just some things that God has been speaking to me. Some of them are so simple, just like this first one, but I'm going to say it anyways. It's just this reminder that you can go to God in prayer. Like, we need to be reminded of that, that I can go to God, that you can go to God in prayer. I mean, what was Hezekiah's response in this moment of desperation? He went to God. He cried out to God in prayer. He turned to God in prayer. And I don't know if it was always the case for him, but in this particular situation, and later on when Hezekiah was sick, he went to God in prayer. And what a great reminder again to you and me that every day, in every moment, and in every situation, you can go to God in prayer. And it doesn't matter your circumstances, your situation, no matter how great or how small it may be, one of the benefits that we have as a child of God is that you can go to God in prayer. And the second thing is this, that you can go to God with specific prayers. And, and I think that's so important to remember because notice again those words from, from 2 Chronicles 32.20. It says that they cried out to God about this. They cried out to heaven uh, about this. Now what's this? It's the 185,000 soldiers like that are waiting to come in. I mean, notice that Hezekiah didn't go with some vague sort of prayer. God, would you just give us peace? in this situation? Will you fill my heart with joy or strength? Those things are okay to pray for, but I just want you to see how specific, and you can go over into 2 Kings and read his specific prayer to God about the 185,000 soldiers. There's no beating around the bush about this. You know, Hezekiah went into the temple of the Lord, as it says in 2 Kings 19, and he laid out his request before God, just very specifically saying, God, we need some help. The enemy is here, and we've got no one but you. What a great reminder that you can pray very specific prayers. I mean, you can pray for meetings and, and conversations. You can pray for relationship issues or specific temptations. I mean, maybe after talking about idolatry last week, God has been opening up and revealing some things into your life, some potential idols. Talk specifically to God about those things. Don't feel like you have to be clever with your words. God's okay with our specifics. And look at it this way. He already knows anyways. And so why not just go ahead and get to the point with him and tell him where you are and what you need? You know, I'm thinking about an example of this just from this past Wednesday morning, our men's connection group that meets here in the building. And we always take a few minutes, uh, sometimes a little longer than others, uh, to pray together before we go. And the other day, uh, one of the men in our group just asked, he said, hey, before I go, would you just pray specifically? I've got a truck that I need to sell. and Will you pray that I get an offer for this truck? Well, two hours later, I got an email from him saying at 9 o'clock today, I got my first offer, you know, on, on my truck. I, I just want you to see that it's okay to pray specific prayers. And the next thing is that when we pray, God hears us. He hears our prayers. You know, I, I was so grateful for that as I was reminded of that personally this morning as I was just praying over our services and praying for this message. You know, it's just like that verse that we looked at a few minutes ago in Psalms where David says that our God is near. Like he is intimately close to us. And as John writes, you know, over in 1 John 5, we have this confidence that when we go to God, he hears us. He's never absent. He's always alert. And even when we don't understand, he does. And I am limited in my understanding, but he's not. 
because he's omniscient. He knows everything. There's only so much that I can do, but not for him because he's an all-powerful uh, God. The next thing is that God loves answering prayers. Like, this is what I'm learning. I mean, it's what he does. God is ready and waiting for our prayers. He's not intimidated by them. And I've just been thinking about some of the stories of answered prayers that I've heard over these past few weeks, like uh, the story of one wife who had been praying to God even for over a year now for God to change her husband's heart on an issue that was so important to her uh, and for her family. Um, I think about the story uh, of my wife, Jenny, telling me that uh, getting ready just a few weeks ago to go have lunch with some very close high school friends who don't have a relationship with Jesus and just praying, God, would you open the door for a, a spiritual conversation? And he did, and he answered that prayer, and they had this great conversation. I, I, I think about it in my own life, just praying for just the right words uh, in a difficult conversation, how God answered that prayer, and, and hearing a story from this past week about a, a wife and a husband in our church who prayed for very specific healing over their son, and God answered that prayer. Our God loves to answer prayers, and, and you've got stories, and you've got evidence all over your life of God answering prayers all around you. You know, we baptized 14 people a few weeks ago at our 10-year service, and I love what my wife had to say about this. She said, and I, I just think this is so cool, she said, you know what, there was at least one person that had been praying or has prayed for every single one of those people who were baptized, and God answered their prayers. God loves answering prayers. Now, keep this in mind, too, because I know this is where some of us struggle and where a lot of us struggle, that when we aren't sure if God is answering our prayers or we think God hasn't answered, this next thing is that God doesn't always answer in the ways that we would like. We, we can't spend enough time on this one today. Um, I, I can promise you this. He will answer. He doesn't answer in the ways that we would like, but he has the ability to answer our prayers that we should have prayed for or do not know how to pray for. I mean, sometimes when we pray, God says, be patient. Sometimes when we pray, God says, not now, or that's not what I have in mind for you. But the Bible tells us that we can cast all of our cares on God, and He cares for us. And, and so just because we don't think that He is, is answering doesn't mean that He won't or that He isn't. I mean, sometimes God's greatest answers to our prayers is that He sustains us, that He keeps us moving. I mean, He might not change your circumstances, but what He'll do is He'll give you the strength to keep pushing through. He'll give you the strength to walk through them. And what He might do over time is that as you pray, what you discover more and more is that the burden is lifted off of you and instead put on the shoulders of the one who went to the cross for you and for me. Hezekiah prayed, he asked for God's help against an army of 185,000. And what I want you to also see today is that there is nothing. When you pray, there is nothing that is too great for him. There is nothing that is beyond him. There is nothing that is too great. There is nothing that you can think of, nothing you can say, nothing that you can offer up to God that is too much for him. It's just like the prophet Isaiah says. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, there's a lot wrapped up into a statement like that. I mean, can any of us really grasp how great and how wide he is and how deep his love uh, extends and, 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 and even to try and understand him? I mean, you know, look at it like this. I mean, can any of us really grasp how great and how massive the universe is? I mean, I was reading this past week, you know, in, in fact, the, the universe is so large, really, that there is no way to measure it. I mean, look, look at it like this. When it, here's what, when it comes to the universe... 
um, the basic measurement uh, of the universe is with the light year, okay? And uh, light travels at 186,000 miles per second, uh, which is so fast that in the time it takes you to snap your fingers, light circumnavigates the globe at least a half a dozen times, all right? Now, the sun is 94.4 million miles away from the earth at its farthest distance from us. And, and so think about it like this. If you could drive to the sun, traveling 65 miles per hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, it would take more than 163 years to get there, okay? Again, just a picture of our universe. The light that warms your face on a sunny day, on the other hand, left the surface of the sun eight minutes before, in one minute, light travels 11 million miles. In one day, light travels 160 billion miles. In one year, light travels 5,865,696,000,000 miles, but that's just in one light year. The outer edge of our universe, according to astrophysicists, is 15.5 billion light years away, meaning it's virtually unimaginable. Yet God says that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What do I take from all of this? There's nothing too great for him. There's nothing that'll surprise him. There's nothing that you can pray or offer up to him that will intimidate him in any way. There is no dream too great for him. There is no vision he can't accomplish with your life. I mean, there is no limit to his power and what he can do. There is no limiting what prayer he can answer. God is omnipotent, meaning that there is nothing he can't do. He is greater than any problem or question that you might have. And that just reminds us that he is big enough to heal your marriage or heal your child. He is bigger than a positive MRI or a difficult entrance exam. He is bigger than your secret or your secret sin. I mean, we have limits, but God knows no limits. And neither should our prayers. And that's why Hezekiah could pray. I mean, he knew where to go. He prayed to the God, uh, and, and the Bible says that God responded and destroyed the Assyrian army. If you read that this past week, you know that story. If you read that on your own, that he prayed, and what God did was God responded. He destroyed this Assyrian army, and the people of Judah were spared. And later on, Hezekiah was on his deathbed. And he prayed for God, to God for healing. He asked God to heal him, and God did. And so what I'm getting at is I look at Hezekiah, and I think, I want to pray like he did. Like, what's the secret? I mean, what did he know? What was it that he did? Was there a method? Were there words that he chose? Was there some sort of secret to the way that he prayed, which meant that God answered on the other side? I mean, I want to learn from someone like him, but what's the secret? And when it comes to prayer, I want to learn from Hezekiah. I want to know what he's saying or what he's doing. And what's the secret to prayer? You know, the secret is this. And here's what God's been revealing to me. I mean, the secret comes right out of his words in Scripture. They're hidden in plain sight. Look again one more time at 2 Chronicles 32, 7 and 8, when he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. And right there is what I believe to be the very secret to prayer. But again, the secret to prayer has nothing to do with particular words or a particular method. The secret to prayer is this. It's believing that he can. That's the power of Hezekiah's prayer. 
That's the greatness of Hezekiah's prayer. It's praying and believing that he can, that God can. And for you and me, it's believing that he can get me through a difficult meeting tomorrow or that he can get you through the cancer. It's praying that he can get you through this particular relationship issue. It's praying that he could get me through this summer class right now. I mean, this type of faith says that he can get me through what my kids are mixed up in or he can get me through these difficult financial times right now. It's praying and believing that He can get me through my uncertainty, uh, that He can help me in dealing with this issue uh, with my parents. It's praying and believing that He can help me to find a place to live, uh, that He can help me uh, find a job, that He can help me find patience and peace and comfort as I'm single right now. He can help me find a reliable car. It's praying and believing that He can help me believe that even God can give me faith. The secret to prayer is believing that he can. And when you think about it, you know what? Even that kind of faith will give you the strength to keep praying when you've prayed the same prayer for six days or six years. It's believing that God can. I mean, it's that kind of faith that keeps you praying when you don't feel like God's answering your prayer or answering your prayer in the way that you'd like. But because he answers, it means that he's got everything in mind. He's got the very best in mind for you. The secret is to prayer is believing that our God can. And do you know what that means too? It means that anyone can pray. It it means that you don't have to know all the answers, that you don't have to bring some record of performance, that you don't have to prove anything. I mean, like Hezekiah, you can go to God in prayer at any moment. And why? Because you believe that while I can't, I know that my God can because nothing is too great for him. Here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come out, and uh, what I want you to do is I want to just ask you to take a moment and just think, is there something in your life right now that requires prayer? Uh, Something great. And and for you, you might not even need to think about it. Uh, You just know. I mean, you know what that is. You know what that question is or that issue or that problem is. Uh, for you. What we're going to do right here today in this room is we're just going to take some time. We want to give you the gift of some time and a few minutes where you can just simply go before God in prayer, believing that he can. And and my prayer for you and for all of us and for this church this morning is that we can just fill up this room with prayer, that we can lift our voices to God in prayer, in those silent voices, in those words that are spoken out loud. But we're just filling up this room with faith because we're praying and we're believing in a God who can and he does respond and he loves to answer prayers. You know, it may be something for you that you've been praying for for a while now. Again, whether it's, you know, six months or or six years, what's on your mind today? Will you just take these next few minutes and will you go to God? Will you go before our king uh, in prayer? You know, maybe you've been fighting it and you know you ought to pray but you can't seem to carve out the time or just even the discipline to do it. Rather than send you out of the room and say, hey, go pray about that today, that's what this time is for right now, to offer up our prayers to God. You know what, maybe you're not even a Christian and in wondering what to do with a time like this, maybe you would recognize that, you know what, there is a void in my life right now. Maybe a prayer for you would be to pray, God, can you fill this void? And believing in a God who can. 
Um, I, I want to let you know the band's going to play a little bit, and then in a few moments they're going to carry on into a song, and so you can pray where you are. Um, if you need to get out of your seat and pray, maybe get on your knees, we want to invite you. We want to give you the opportunity to do that. Uh, maybe you know this morning that you've prayed enough alone and you need somebody to pray with you. Uh, we're going to have some members of our prayer team down up front. Uh, we don't want you to feel awkward in any way as we take the rest of the time in this service to pray and to pray to a God that we believe He can and He loves to listen and He's always there and He is near right now and you can pray to Him today. Let's offer up our prayers to God and if you need to come forward to pray, we'll meet you up front.